Welcome to the West Steps. The West Steps is a podcast from the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues that impact Colorado kids and families. I'm your host, Beza Thedes. Welcome to another episode of the West Steps. We have a full house today. And I am really looking forward to this conversation. I think this is the first one for the West Steps in its four seasons. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to let my guests introduce themselves. Uh, Leslie, since you've been uh, on the podcast a few times, maybe you can kick it off and then you can pass it on. Yep. Excited to be back. Uh, I'm Leslie Caldwell. I'm the Vice President for Education Initiatives at the Children's Campaign. Jennifer, why don't you go next? I'm Jennifer Levin, Director of Public Policy at the ARC of Colorado. Uh, And I am Veronica Bell, and I've been a teacher for over five years, most recently teaching um, third grade at a charter school in the southwest of Denver, and currently a Teach Plus Colorado Education Policy Ambassador. Awesome. Thank you all so much for uh, making the time. Um, We're going to spend some time chatting about uh, school climate, school climate coalition, um, and maybe we can start there. What is the mission of this the school climate coalition and who is involved and what are you all um, hoping to achieve? Yep. So this is Leslie. I'll take the first stab at that. So the School Climate Coalition is a growing group of organizations that includes K-12 health and youth serving organizations. And we've had some state agency participation as well. Uh, I think the goal that we all share is creating positive learning environments for all kids. Um, And it really grew out of a webinar event that the Children's Campaign co-convened last summer with the Colorado Youth Congress about a national report that had been published um, called the School Climate Policy Playbook. It was put out by the Aspen Institute and Excel in Ed. And at that point, um, you know, we had just finished the second school year that had been dis- disrupted by the pandemic. And we were uh, very optimistically looking ahead um, to kids returning to in-person school in the fall. Um, and so we were, you know, I think the question was like, what are the types of, of school environments that we would love for kids to be returning to? And we saw a lot of opportunities in that report's recommendations for ways that Colorado could improve and, and sort of elevate the importance of school climate. Um, And so that coalition kind of came together last summer. We met monthly throughout the fall. Uh, And I think a long-term goal of all of these organizations is to define something like a statewide vision for healthy school climates that enables learning and and also a sense of safety and belonging for for youth. Um, Before we can get there, I think what we've realized is it requires ways to measure um, things about the school experience that are meaningful besides just academic performance. And that's um, where a lot of the current emphasis in our data systems lies. And so, um, you know, I think that was a realization that we've had together as a coalition and and, um, something that we're working on together right now. Um, before we unpack a couple of the things that you said there, Les, uh, maybe we could take some time to think about why school climate, uh, you know, how does it impact the overall well-being and performance of kids? And then maybe we can go back and look at some of the importance of the, um, the school climate coalition. 
Sure. So um, one of the things that we know from the research that we've done um, in my working group with Teach Plus is that um, students are more likely to secede academically when they feel a sense of belonging, when they feel safe at school, um, and when they feel connected to their peers and the adults in the school building. And that's everyone from administrative to custodial staff to um, the folks working in the cafeteria. Um, And when they feel connected, they're more likely to learn, they're more motivated to learn, they're more likely to show up at school. Um, So there's reduced absences. Um, And then also when there's a school climate where there's fair discipline practices, where there's strong teacher-student relationships, there's less likely to be um, high discipline incidents um, because students and teachers can work it out together because they have that relationship, that foundation to really um, work on. Um, And so this can lead to like effective risk prevention and positive identity development. So one of the things I always talk about is um, when students receive these labels or when students are constantly disciplined, um, sometimes they develop this idea that I am the bad kid or I am a problem student. Um, And many times they will, um, students might you know, um, become that by their behaviors or they might do things that confirms that label that they've been given. Um, And so, you know, there's always a focus on academic achievement and often school climate has been overlooked, but it is definitely an important indicator in seeing how students are going to be successful in the future and how they develop their positive identity and how they feel about themselves. Mm. Yeah, um, maybe we could spend a little bit more time there. So we, we're not necessarily talking about academic performance, but we're also not saying this isn't about academic performance. Is that right? Right. Um, so uh, one of the, yeah, go so ahead. One the, <laughs> so one of the things I would say is um, when we look at it, when students feel like they want to be in the classroom, when they feel like supported by their teachers, um, they show up. So last year, um, when I taught during COVID, um, I had one of the highest attendances in, in the whole school. Um, and it was because I called students because I made sure that even online, my school culture and the school climate that I was, um, the environment that I was creating for students was the same online as it was in person. Um, and I really made sure that students felt connected to me, even though we were far away. And that really helped make sure that we didn't have so many absences, that students were showing up and that um, even when things got difficult, sometimes with that sneaky second grade math um, I was teaching last year, students still wanted to be there. Um, And so what we see is that when students feel connected, um, they're more likely to learn from the person who's teaching them. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, here in Colorado, a primary focus of the last decade really has been um, school and district accountability, which includes information about performance on academic measures. But we know that there are a lot of other indicators that students and families and communities care about when it comes to what is happening in schools and the learning environment. And so as the coalition did some shared learning together throughout the fall, I think what we realized is that we have a lot of room to grow um, as a state in prioritizing school climate and making information related to student experiences publicly available. We have some ways of doing that currently through like the Healthy Kids Colorado survey or um, something called the Smart Source survey. But these are, um, you know, they're surveys administered every two years. They're statewide representative samples. And so we don't, like communities are not able to access that information for their school or their district. And I think Mm. that's what we're interested in getting in the reports. Um, I'm interested if you could uh, elaborate more on this idea of connectedness. I think uh, I'm a social scientist. I'm interested in measuring things that people think that they cannot be measured. So um, if we are thinking that these other elements of 
being at school are important for the overall child well-being. Um, what are the policy solutions on the table? How are we going to measure or make sense of this idea of belonging or connectedness? Um, how is the coalition thinking about that? I can go first. I think, um, you know, Baze, I, I would love to hear, uh, especially Veronica, talk about this just um, based on her school experiences. But, you know, one thing that we think is really needed is um, we need a better foundation for understanding what is happening in schools um, with sort of better, more standardized data collection around um, things like absenteeism of students, discipline practices, uh, school health professionals that are providing services and support to students. And then also, um, we don't know very much about the use of school climate surveys. So we know that there are a lot of surveys and tools out there that are, that are being used by by our um, districts across the state, but uh, you know, it's it's there's no way to know um, exactly which tools are being used and if those results are publicly available. Uh, so we would love to have um, you know just starting off better access to some data, and we also would love to see CDE develop something like a dashboard or um, easily accessible district profile reports. That's kind of like a one-stop shop for some of these measures that we're talking about that are, you know, where that data, um, those data are transparent, accessible, and disaggregated. Um, so that is, you know, there's kind of a whole data component where I think we see room for improvement. And then, um, yeah, Veronica and Jennifer, I know there are pieces that you all are experts on as well here. Yeah, I was going to mention um, as an attorney for students with disabilities and also a parent of a former student, he's now 20, so <laughs> different kind of student now, um, but as a parent and an attorney who is always desperately trying to figure things out based on data and navigating the Department of Education's website is extremely challenging. And I loved the idea when Children's Campaign and the Arc of Colorado decided to join forces and work together on some solutions. I loved the idea that Children's Campaign had about this dashboard and bringing this data to the forefront for, to make it easier to access um, for parents, especially. Uh, I, I have trouble navigating it. And, you know, I went to law school. So I feel like if it's hard for me, it's going to be hard for pretty much. Well, maybe it's just me. I don't know. I'm making the assumption. But still, I just felt challenged by it. And I think it could be a much simpler process. Mm -hmm. um, and I think focusing on the disability, the disaggregated data based on students with disabilities is really important because I think if we're serving our kids with disabilities the way we should be, then most likely the rest of the students in the building and in the district are getting what they need as well. Mm. Um, and then to add on that, um, one of the things that we kind of grappled with, with at the beginning was the sense of belonging or connectedness. Like, what do you do to measure that? Um, like you said, like it sounds like social science, but one of the things that I look at um, is when we look at the data of who is being suspended or who is being expelled from schools, um, what does that tell us about students who are being disciplined in that school? So maybe it's not telling us about um, how connected a student feels, but it's certainly telling us about who is being um, perhaps left out of the classroom because that's what suspensions and expulsions do. They disinclude, mm. right? They disconnect. Mm. 
Um, and then looking at that, some of the policies, something that I would like to see and that we're aiming to do is just have better data collections on certain disciplinary incidents. For example, we noticed that um, there was a lot of coding behavior as disobedience or defiance or mm-hmm. other codes, violations of code of conduct. What does that mean? Um, what are those behaviors that are leading to that? And then who are the students that may be participating in that behavior? So that way we can get a better picture um, of who is really being disciplined in schools um, and seeing what we can do to create an environment where all students can learn. Um, And then another thing looking at as well is uh, best practices and proper training for school security staff, including student resource officers, um, and making sure that um, the people that are in our schools are there because they want to be in our schools and that they have volunteered to be in our schools. Um, Also looking that they have a history of working with youth and understanding what it takes to make sure that students feel supported. Um, And so that is something that is really important to me as a classroom teacher. Um, when we talk about creating an environment where all students can learn. Mm. Um, I think you're, you're all touching on a, a couple of things that uh, as at the beginning you, you um, mentioned, made me think about that their, their idea that um, just what is being taught is not going to result in uh, academic performance or well-being. But also I think there's a lot of conversations around race and equity here. Um, uh, and who is being disciplined and what, how do we think about supporting teachers? Um, I wonder if you could say more about who is sitting at the table with the coalition right now to, uh, to best inform not just the conversation you all are having, but uh, possibly some policy solutions as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would say, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, it's been a really interesting cross-sector group of organizations. Um, you know, we've got advocacy organizations that have been attending regularly, like ourselves, Stand for Children, um, the Partnership for Community Action, which is a, a network of rural queer folks um, who are, you know, they have kind of a specific specific focus on LGBTQ youth. Um, We have disability rights advocates like the Arc of Colorado, um, Advocacy Denver, Disability Law Colorado, um, several youth serving organizations like um, Youth Roots, Colorado Youth Congress, Our Turn um, Colorado, teacher and school groups, uh, Teach Plus, uh, which Veronica is a fellow um, with. They've been involved And then we have health groups as well. So, you know, groups like the uh, AAP and Children's Hospital, um, along with we have a national partner called CLASP, which is the Center on Law and Social Policy. They've been um, they have a lot of technical expertise um, and, and also this view on what other states are doing about some of these school climate issues. So they've been really helpful. Um, and agency staff has been involved as well because. Um, you know, obviously they know kind of like what the current state priorities are. Uh, there's someone at CDE who implements a school climate transformation grant right now. And she's provided a lot of information for the coalition about um, just what, you know, what that looks like at the state level currently. So, um, yeah, it's been a really it's been a really um, great group uh, working together um, with shared priorities. Mm. Um, so uh, maybe this is just to satisfy my own curiosity, but uh, what is something that has surprised you in these conversations, especially given some of the reports that we've seen around youth mental health and uh, children's well-being as uh, 
it, as this pandemic still goes on and the academic calendar continues to get disrupted with outbreaks, what is something that has surprised you in your conversations in this coalition? I mean, I can say just from the disability perspective, children were at losing a lot of services during those shutdowns. And I've learned just in my I, the arc of Colorado is the state chapter, but then we have 14 local chapters. And mm-hmm. Leslie mentioned Advocacy Denver. That's the local chapter for Denver. And we we talk a lot and they're a part of this coalition. And just knowing what they've seen in the school in the school buildings in Denver, I'm shocked sometimes to see what some of the districts were doing um, in during the, the lockdown and then afterwards that the way they were trying to sort of overlook the fact that these kids lost so many hours and hours of services. And some kids were stuck at home, just really not even able to interact at all through a computer, but they were refused any type of support. And it was put on the parents to implement these individualized education programs, which can be pretty complicated. Um, So, that to me was not only surprising, but also very concerning. Like, how are we going to make up for this? That's going to be a lot of learning loss. Um, and so what I've been trying to do with our statewide um, outreach and then through all the local chapters is trying to educate parents and teachers on how to use compensatory services in these plans and make up for that loss. Um, and figure out ways to just individualize it so kids can get back into where they would be had that not happened. Um, And then for me, me, um, just most recently being in the classroom, um, and I had the pleasure of working with my students and kind of looping up and growing with them. So um, they were students that I had worked with since first grade. So first, second, and third grade, I had the honor of being their teacher. Um, And I had a class that had um, several students who had 504 plans or IEPs. And um, a lot of them students I've already worked with. So I know their family well. I know their circumstance well. You know, I've really come to understand them. Um, And just coming back to school, Um, I was ready and I think like students felt that they were ready too, but it was very much so a difficult transition. Um, And we realized how much we needed the support of our school social worker, um, how much we needed the support, um, how we needed to really expand our education services that we were providing for students, um, Mm. as well as making sure that we had just more support from admin and everyone all hands on deck um, is really what it has required this year for students to be successful and for students to grow. Um, And for teachers also to adjust. Um, School climate is just as much about teachers and teacher success as it is about student success Um, because the way that a teacher operates a classroom has a lot to do with how students learn and what they are able to receive from that person. Um, And so that was something that was very surprising to me is how much much we felt we were prepared, but we really didn't have the supports and services that that we wanted to have for our students, Um, especially only at my school having a a social worker who was part-time Um, And then even our school psychologist was kind of shared between schools. So um, we only had the time that we can get, which is another reason, which is another um, thing that we're kind of leading on in that policy area is making, seeing the ratios for schools um, and districts about how many school support workers they have um, Mm -hmm. is something that I think has really um, an issue that has been brought to the forefront, especially during this time. Absolutely. Yeah. Mental health 
um, and the need for social workers and therapists and people that can be there for students that really did just did not fare well in the isolation and now have mental health issues to deal with. We're really hoping that that's something that can come out of data collection to see where we need to maybe fund that district more for more support for students. Cause that was a reality that we all saw with kids. I'm sure Veronica saw it firsthand. I saw it just through friends of my kids, you know, Mm -hmm. and just thought that how horribly um, impactful it was. And it was pretty devastating. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, As uh, my last question, um, how do you, uh, how do you, propose people get involved. I think this is a conversation even if you don't have kids directly in the education system. Um, I think the well-being of children is is a, a passionate issue for a lot of people. So how can people get involved, learn more, and also tell the elected officials about the importance of thinking about a holistic approach to school climate? I think this is a topic where storytelling is is just really important about like all of the aspects of the school environment that contribute to youth belonging and youth success. Um, So just always important for students and parents and advocates to share examples of the experiences that they've had or are having with schools and why they believe that a positive learning environment is so important for youth success. Um, You know, we like just in thinking about as we've been developing policy solutions, it's like we're looking at what other states are doing. We're reading resources like the attorney general's school justice roundtable report. But then it's also been important for people like Veronica and her other teacher um, plus fellows to be involved in like looking at the policy solutions as people who are in classrooms working with students every day, like does do these policy solutions feel relevant, operational, you know, like what else do you think needs to happen here? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think just really important that that this entire conversation is is being informed by people who are closest to what's happening in schools, including students um, and educators themselves. and, you know, I would just say we we anticipate that a bill will be coming soon um, with some great sponsors and, and legislators as our champions. Um, you know, I think in, in the near term, hopefully we can have some success with that um, bill this session. But then the School Climate Coalition will uh, continue meeting to advance some of those longer term goals that I that I talked about um, and really encouraging the state to developed something like a vision um, for healthy school climate. And so I would just say if anyone listening is interested in joining those efforts, please feel free to reach out to to any of us anytime um, to get looped in. Amazing. Any last thoughts um, on school climate and why people should get involved? No pressure if not. Now, I think it's a great idea to have um, students get involved. We actually, the ARC of Colorado has a disability policy seminar that we attend once a year in D.C. And we take um, students and adults with disabilities with us so that they can go to um, a week-long 
conference that's run by the ARC of the United States that essentially introduces people on the techniques of talking to your congressmen, talking to your senators, talking to your state representatives, what kind of questions you want to discuss with them and and talk about your issues. So we are very active in getting people involved in policymaking um, at the state and federal level. So if anyone's interested out there, out there in contacting me at the Arc of Colorado and um, becoming a part of that process, we would love to hear from you. Veronica, I think you should put a plug in for the Teach Plus Fellowship. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then there's always Teach Plus. Um, We recruit teachers from all over the state of Colorado um, to learn about education policy and work with legislators to produce um, policy that is going to impact our classrooms just like here. Um, And I think this is a great opportunity to really get involved and bring teacher voice to issues that are affecting our classrooms. Well, thank you so much for all of you for making the time. Um, I learned a whole lot. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, some policy solutions in this legislative session. And hopefully this is not the last time we uh, talk about school climate on the West Steps. Um, So deep appreciation for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of The West Steps. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. If you want to support our work, please visit our website at coloradokids.org. And see you next week. Thank you.